Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. It is my absolute delight and pleasure to start the new year by welcoming back Wayne Pacelli, who was the president of the Humane Society of the United States. We had a show together called Humane Talk. I think for me, he was and remains really the North Star of what's the right thing to do, the ethical thing to do, the smart and effective thing to do for animals. He became and created the Animal Wellness Action Network and the Center for a Humane Economy, of which he's the president. And Wayne, I just want to say it is so great to reconnect with you professionally as well as personally, to know that when you left the Humane Society of the United States and you left it in very good shape, having done extraordinary work, you moved forward and have become even more effective, it seems to me, from the sidelines in changing laws on behalf of animals of every sort. And that seems to be the only way we can actually protect animals on this planet, whether It's in our backyards or in jungles or oceans. So congratulations on continuing your lifetime work. And if anything, ramping it up. Is this what people do as they get older and wiser? They just go, okay, I'm going to work harder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, uh, Tracy, those are very generous comments. And I send them right back to you as one of the great voices for animals in this country. And We talked a lot about animal issues through the years. I'm so glad that we're renewing this conversation. And I think we we renew it at a time when the Congress has just had a burst of lawmaking on animal welfare issues. And, you know, I think that there are multiple strategies that need to be pursued for animals. We need to educate people about proper and responsible care of dogs and cats and other companion animals in our lives. We need to, uh, you know, be involved in having curricula that treat, that talk about treating animals uh, well, humane curricula at the, at the you know, lower levels of education, elementary and middle, middle school, but then, you know, into uh, college curricula and graduate school work. Publishing is so important. The Center for Humane Economy, one of the groups that I lead, works on getting corporations to think about animals and their supply chains and their nice. R&D programs and other operations. But policy, in terms of public policy, creating laws is important because, as you and I have discussed, there's this asymmetrical relationship between humans and animals. We hold all the cards. We have all the power. 
we are the lords of the animals. We can do whatever we want to them. Mm -hmm. There's got to be someone to restrain. There's got to be some mechanism to restrain people who exhibit the worst instincts, right? You can have a small number of people, say like dog fighters or cockfighters, who victimize animals terribly, but 98% of America is against what they do, and that's where we need a law to restrain this cruel behavior. That's the very basis of having anti-cruelty laws in our society. So that's an important task, and I thank you for recognizing how important this is because we've got to prevent cruelty on the front end. You know, if we have to rescue animals in distress, they've already suffered. We need to do it to, to, to give them care and protection and to, to pull them out of a dangerous and risky situation. But the best outcome is when they don't get into a situation of distress in the first place. Well, that's very well said, but a lot of the work that you've done is on a much bigger scope than, gee, dogs on chains, which, you know, is one of those things that everyone can feel bad about. Everyone can feel bad about inhumane puppy mills. But the work that you've done with Animal Wellness Action, and, and President Biden just signed into law many of the, 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 the bills that you had been working on in the past few years, but also going back decades, Humane Society International, Humane Society of the United States, both of which you ran, things that I think we're mindless about. It's easy to say, oh, the poor dog. But what about those lion and tiger cubs that people go, oh, this is great. We get to take a picture with a cub. And now there's a law they can't, for example. Yeah. People don't even well, recognize how cruel how, what the, how they're contributing to something cruel and, and pointless. So can you talk about some of those issues? The Big Cat Public Safety Act is the law of the land. Thank you, President Biden, but thank you to you and the work you had to do with a lot of senators. You had senators yeah. that didn't want to stop home, home raising of tigers and lions to make babies to take $60 pictures for people that were driving through. How is this possible? Tracy, this should have been a no-brainer. I yeah. mean, number one, there are, two there are two aspects of this bill, the big cat public safety act, or shall I say a law now. It stops the interstate trade in big cats for use as pets. People have lions and tigers and jaguars and cheetahs as pets. It makes no sense. These are wild animals. They're the biggest carnivores in the world. They're not domesticated like domesticated dogs and cats have been for thousands of years who can then live comfortably and safely in our environments with us. So that's just a, a no-brainer. We shouldn't have them as pets. The second piece, which you, which you talked about in your setup, is that there are roadside menageries. These are unaccredited zoos. So you've got accredited zoos that meet standards like the Bronx Zoo in right. New York or the Louisville Zoo in Kentucky. There are about 230 of those accredited zoos, but there are a couple thousand of these roadside zoos. And some of them, they breed lions and tigers just to get the cubs and kittens, who, who after maybe two to three months, they then hawk tickets. They, they, they allow people to buy tickets to handle these animals. But then by four months of age or five months of age, they're too big to handle. So these roadside zoos discard them, dumping them into the exotic animal network. And the only decent outcome is if a sanctuary grabs hold of them and provides lifetime care. 
until they're about 20 when they die, but that costs a million dollars per tiger. Yikes. It costs a private sanctuary. When you think of the construction costs and the, and the you know enclosure costs and the vet care. and Feeding the them. You've got to feed them yeah, like 30, a whole gazelle or something. 30 pounds of meat a day. Wow. And, you know, so, so we did the, the uh, amortization of these costs, and it's a million dollars per tiger or lion if you have the construction costs, which most of them do. I mean, people don't just have, you know, enclosures for, the, for animals who can jump 20 feet in the air and who weigh 400 or 500 pounds. So this is a new law. It was, it was 11 years in the works, Tracy, 11 years. So I started working on this when I was at the Humane Society of the United States. And then when I started Animal Wellness Action in the center, I worked with Carol Baskin and Howard Baskin, who run Big Cat Rescue in Florida. And Carol was, was uh, you know, caricatured uh, by the Tiger King um, uh, series that if many of your listeners yeah. undoubtedly watched, uh, where, you know, she was, was was cast in a in a in a death feud with Joe Exotic, this guy who had an Oklahoma uh, roadside zoo with what he claimed two hundred tigers at this facility. I think he exaggerated the number; it was probably a hundred, but it was a hundred too many. Correct. Uh, he went to prison. He's he's serving a twenty-one year prison sentence for um, hiring uh, a person to kill Carol. Uh, but he also had killed uh, a number of the tigers that he no longer wanted, so he violated the Endangered Species Act in doing so. But this should not have taken this long, Tracy, to pass this in Congress. But what is required, and we don't have time to go into it today, for most animal issues, you have to get all 100 United States senators to agree to the reform. Uh, there's a mechanism called hotlining the bill. So if a Senate if the key senators, the senators who run a committee of jurisdiction, say the Environment and Public Works Committee or the Agriculture Committee, if the bill is assigned to their committee, the bill can go to the floor if the chair and the ranking member, so the top, in this case, the top Democrat on the committee and the top Republican on the committee, agree to allow it to go to the floor. So the majority leader, uh, Chuck Schumer of New York, he calls all the senators and says he wishes to pass this bill. If there are any objections, you know, let us know within 48 hours. Uh, and the Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, does the same thing with the Republicans. And any senator can place what's called a hold wow. on the bill. Okay, we have to we have to save that yeah. conversation. I want to have a whole separate conversation about politics and animals. This idea, I don't think any of us have a really clear view of how powerful the Washington, D.C. mechanism is, and I don't think anybody really has warm and fuzzy feelings about the government, capital G, the government. <laughs> you know, they just don't. It's really hard to. And yeah. and the more that I've learned in, in looking at the work you're doing, the less sanguine I feel about it. Now, when, when, and when we talk about politics in, an, in a separate conversation, I'd like to know how you work in concert with or do you work at cross purposes to, for example, the White Coast Coat Waste Project. I've had a number of their their representatives on the show and, and the guy who runs it because I think that what they do is amazing. But, for example, you just were instrumental in signing into law something. I really dislike the verbiage. The FDA Modernization Act, which is supposed to, if I understand it correctly, reduce or limit the number of animals used for drug testing. 
I mean, guess also for cosmetic testing, but particularly FDA drug testing. They call it modernization as if it's just all cute and old-fashioned. The number of dogs, cats, chimpanzees, rats, mice, and other creatures who've been torturously experimented on for decades. Is that just considered kind of like oh, gee whiz, old-fashioned, and that's why we call yeah. it modernization? What? Why is that well, the word? Well, modernization is the reform effort. So we're basically criticizing the existing law, Tracy, and, and okay. we're essentially calling it archaic. Good. So we're saying that this 1938 law, it's called the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act. So just looking at that language, you can see that this is a federal statute that FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, oversees, and they're basically doing safety screening for the American public on food, drugs, and cosmetics. A lot of people probably don't realize that the fourth biggest cause of death in the United States is adverse reactions to drugs. No you know, you kidding. hear if you watch, yeah, yeah. If you watch television, you see these drugs as heart medicine or, you know, this pain drug. They, they list the side effects, yeah. right? Sure. <laughs> they, you might swallow your tongue. You might lose your knee. You might Anything. throw yourself off a bridge. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, it's it's an incredible. You listen to these things, you say, oh, my God, how can anyone take this drug? But, you know, people are, are sick or they're, you know, in a, in a terrible circumstance and they're willing to take a risk because they're suffering. But our drug screening process is broken. And it's broken one reason, and I, this is no exaggeration, Tracy, it's broken because we force every company doing drug development work or every researcher at an academic institution like the University of Vermont or Harvard or the University of Southern California to do extensive animal I tests, multi-generational, multi multi-species animal tests that could run in the, I mean, for pharmaceutical companies, could, could cost hundreds of millions of dollars over years. I, I kid you not, hundreds of millions of dollars. And the drug testing, the data show that before it goes into the marketplace, so they do the animal test first, and then they go to human clinical trials where you have people who might have the disease, right. or they volunteer and they may get paid $1,000 to be part of a, a human clinical trial. Well, the animal tests in 90 to 95% of the cases do not forecast the human reaction to drugs. So you might have 20 drugs that pass muster in this years of animal testing where thousands of animals are used thousands and thousands, and then it goes to human clinical trials and fails. So the company loses all that money. That's R&D money that they have had to put up front. This is one reason why drug costs are so high, because the R&D costs are enormous. So all we've done in passing the FDA Modernization Act, which I'm very proud to say the Center for Humane Economy and Animal Wellness Action formulated, and we got passed within essentially 18 months. It's now law. We got the bill introduced in April of 2021. It's now a law of the land. We eliminated this 1938 mandate in the federal statute that you must use animals in advance of marketing I'll this product. Now you might, yeah. So we're and sitting here we know, sitting in judgment, yeah. those of us on the outside saying, it's horrible. How can you do this and plant that thing in the cat's head and in the dog's side? But it turns out that in order to develop a new drug or even a new cosmetic, they were required to use animals. This is that was how that not law for was cosmetics, written. Not cosmetics, but for drugs. Yes, not for cosmetics, but for drugs. So any drug, any pain medication, an Alzheimer's drug, a cancer drug, a heart drug, 
you name it, a bone drug, they have to do it. And, and the data show that it simply does not screen properly and doesn't forecast properly. And now we have human biology-based methods. We have something called liver on a chip or kidney on a chip. Wow. These are human cells that are screening for toxicities for these drugs that are proving so much more effective. But the law was saying you can't independently use that superior 21st century technology. So that's why this, this measure, the FDA Modernization Act, which modernizes this archaic system of drug development. So I do think it's a So it is a good word. Term. Now that you explain, I had no yeah. idea that companies, and by the way, a lot of companies, as you would be the first to know, were using rabbits and and mice and rats for cosmetics too. That's why now you can uh, buy yeah. cosmetics that say, you know, cruelty-free, no animal testing. But it turns out that the drugs, they were all required to use animals. And I'm sure that, well, when we talk next time, because we've run out of time, about politics, I had no idea that Dr. Mehmet Oz was an animal tester at the highest level of cruelty to dogs, in particular, right in New York at Columbia University. I had no idea. Personally, I'm very glad that came out and that was brought out and that that contributed to him not taking a place in Washington, D.C., but I just thought he was a talking head on TV. I didn't know he was an animal researcher. So that's another, like, wowy moment for me. I mean, I learned so much by seeing the work that you're doing. We have run out of time, but I really hope that people will go to Animal Wellness Action, the website. It's great. It really explains everything well. It makes you feel smarter you, me, whoever goes to the website, you learn more, you understand how the world really works. It's depressing, but it's also uplifting to know all of these laws that you just now have gotten signed into, all these bills that you've gotten signed into law. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you for the work you've continued to do and are flourishing and doing. I'm sorry there's so much you need to do, but there is, and you're doing it. So thank you on behalf of all the animals out there. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative Pet Talk Radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.